Hello and welcome to the Royals Investment Fund Podcast, where we meet with professors, experts, and professionals in the business and investing world. We are here to bring you insight into these success stories of individuals through their careers, investment choices, and recommendations. This podcast was specifically designed to help business students as they start their journey into the business world. I'm your host, Tony Harris. Now let's get started. Before we dive into our first podcast, I do want to give a fair warning. Due to COVID-19, we do not have our podcast studio or the proper equipment. So you might hear dogs barking in the background and you also might not get the best audio quality. For that, we apologize, but hopefully in the near future, we will be able to get back into the studio. Thank you. Today, I would like to welcome someone that has over 30 years of professional investment experience. She started her career attending Yale, where she got her degree in economics. Not to mention, she also won a national championship in D1 squash. From there, she started in the investing world at only 22 years old, working for Merrill Lynch on Wall Street. After her time at Merrill Lynch, she went on to get her MBA in finance from Wharton School of Business. Once she received her MBA, she became a vice president in derivative sales trading at J.P. Morgan on Wall Street. After her time on Wall Street, She spent 10 years as a senior consultant at Global Markets Consultants. From there, she went to work at the Clifton Group in Minneapolis, where she spent nine years as a project manager and one year as a portfolio manager. After working for 30 years in the investment world, she decided to take a major career change. She went on to become a professor of economics and finance at Bethel University. I'm excited to introduce a professor who genuinely cares for her students' education, personal lives, and decision-making skills. I would like to introduce Professor Amanda Carter. So, Professor Carter, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to do it. So, real quick, just tell me, what led you to Bethel University to be a professor? Um, Well, a couple of different things. I had many, many friends uh, tell me about the opening because they knew that I was uh, a a Christian. uh, And they also knew that I was ready for a change in my current uh, job. I had been working at Parametric Portfolio Associates and I'd just been uh, leading a trading desk. We were mostly trading futures for institutional clients. And that job, I loved it and I loved the firm. Um, but it had sort of become uh, my whole life. My kids had left the house uh, to go to school and on to their careers. My husband was working hard and I felt it just wasn't healthy the way the job was becoming my whole life um, and my God. Um, Earlier in my career, I'd spent a lot of time um, educating internally, both at JP Morgan when derivatives were fairly new, um, and then also in a consulting position when I needed a flexible job. So I knew that I liked teaching. I knew that I liked explaining financial concepts. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be in a place where I could integrate faith uh, into my work. That is awesome. So uh, I just have a quote here from your advisor at Yale. He said, you either need to go to Wall Street because you're very quantitative and you just have intuition about numbers or you should get a PhD and teach. And I mean, now you've done both. Does that, does that feel like a big accomplishment to you? Well, full disclosure, I don't have a PhD, um, which part of me regrets. Um, he encouraged me to choose one of those two paths because he, had, um, he was very supportive of my academic interests. Um, and he felt that I had the um, intellectual ability to go to Wall Street 
um, or to you know, pursue that ultimate degree. Um, because of student loans, to be perfectly honest, and because there are very few fully funded economics PhD programs, I decided to go to Wall Street. I went to uh, Merrill Lynch and worked in investment banking on the corporate finance side for two years and then did go get my MBA. Um, so I'm very grateful for his um, guidance. He unfortunately passed away about two years ago, but he is a, like a, a giant in the field. He's the founder of the arbitrage pricing theory. Um, which is basically the number two equity pricing model behind the capital asset pricing model. Uh, so I was blessed to have him as my advisor and I was blessed that he told me to take a lot of math. I essentially did a math minor, uh, wasn't technically a math minor because that didn't exist at the time. Um, but he gave me good guidance, great encouragement, and I have a feeling that his recommendation to my business school probably helped me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Would you say that he was a mentor in your life to some extent? Absolutely, absolutely. He was a mentor and I actually didn't meet him through my undergrad. I met him at a place I worked. I worked at sort of a family camp in New Hampshire. That's a lot like Grandview Lodge would be for okay. a Minnesotan family. Um, and I was like leading mountain climbs and teaching sailing and doing things like that. Very, you know, before my sophomore year at undergrad. And I met him there and uh, I happened to have a, some, I was wearing a t-shirt that said Yale on it and he started to talk to me. So I just thought he was like a regular faculty guy at Yale. Turns out he was honestly one of the top people in the field globally. And I very naively asked him to be my advisor. And he said, yes. So uh, later I found out that that was probably completely inappropriate. There were, uh, you know, PhD students who he turned down right and left, but uh, because of me being nice to his kids and uh, helping his family in a totally unrelated situation um, and a friendship we had, uh, he agreed to be my advisor and it really was a huge influence. Um, back uh, when I went to undergrad, you could do an econ, I was econ undergrad, which I'm very proud of. Um, you could do an econ undergrad with not a lot of math and it, you know, that's a great degree, but for someone going to Wall Street or who later wants to teach or get a PhD, um, the math, uh, the quant piece of the econ was important at that time. Um, so he pushed me hard and he also gave me a lot of support. So I'm very grateful for him and I, I'm, I'm not sure where I'd be if not for his mm -hmm. uh, influence at that time, which is part of the reason I like teaching so much is you can you can really have a wonderful impact on a young person at a, at a critical moment in their life. So pertaining to, to Wall Street, um, you started working on Wall Street when you were 22 years old. I mean, for someone that's looking to get into derivatives trading, becoming a stockbroker, or even working on Wall Street, what are your suggestions for students that are trying to be as ambitious as you and trying to get that, um, get that position? Yeah, well, you know, back, back, I went to, uh, I got out of undergrad in 1986, which is a long time ago. And back then, if you wanted to have a meaningful career in, in finance, you pretty much had to go to New York. Um, now, fortunately, there are really great jobs in finance in a lot of different places. Uh, students at Bethel who want to stay in Minneapolis or go to Chicago will have opportunities to have really challenging um, careers with bright people working in all different types of products. But I pretty much had to go to Wall Street to do what I wanted to do. Um, so what I would suggest for students is to uh, study hard, 
learn the material, learn the material to actually master the material, not to just, you know, get a grade in a, in a class. Um, I would say do a double emphasis. Um, I think finance is great paired with analytics, paired with marketing, paired with anything really, uh, but do a double emphasis. Um, it's very selective to get a job on Wall Street, so you're going to have to, you know, get a good GPA, have a meaningful internship. Um, and then quite frankly, just be prepared to work a lot and to have a very thick skin. Um, it's a brutal environment even now. Um, when I tell people that I worked 80 hours a week, they don't believe me because if you do the math in your head, that basically means you work and you sleep a little. Um, and that's what, that's what you do. A lot of these programs are two-year programs and they hope that you go away to business school and then come back uh, with, a, with an MBA. Um, so 80 hours a week was a normal week and it was a very competitive environment. Your peers are actually hoping you fail because they want your chair. Um, it was a terrible place to be a woman. It would be a terrible place to be a person of color back, back in the 80s. It's much better now. Um, but having a thick skin was important. What made up for all of that was the challenge, um, the, just the challenge, and then to be in an environment where everyone around you is brilliant, everyone around you is charging hard, and you're literally creating products that, that are new, um, and you're generating capital that's gonna create growth in business and create jobs. Um, so it was, it was wonderful, I'm really glad I did it. Um, it, it did sort of suck the life out of me though. Wow, that is crazy. Mm -hmm. Back to the Wall Street, kind of that wolf mentality. Like, were you faced with ethical decisions mm -hmm. as you know, a Christian in mm -hmm. a predominantly secular workplace? And, mm -hmm. and how did you deal with that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I actually never had a business ethical decision where I felt compromised. Um, I know some of those existed. Um, for me, I, I didn't experience that personally, but I will say the culture, the culture challenged uh, my faith because everyone around me was uh, God, God uh, was not God, money was God, um, not God. Um, so the culture was all about making the most money in the fastest way. The culture was all about being number one, who had the highest grade and the training program, who made the most revenue in their chair, uh, who went on the most roadshows with clients, who did the most M&A deals. I mean, you're just always benchmarking and quantifying in things that are of the world and superficial. Um, and it is incredibly hard to keep your eyes focused on God in that environment. So I would say that for me, it wasn't that every day I had to make a difficult ethical choice. It was that it was very close to stay, very hard to stay close to God. And when you're working 80 hours a week in a normal week and 100 hours a week in a deal week, you don't make time for God. I didn't make time for God the way I should have. Um, I put my work first. So I would say that was the challenge as a Christian. Um, I would go to church once a week, and um, I, I was the only person I knew who did that. Um, but, you know, being, being a Christian in a good relationship with God isn't about sending an hour at church every week. It's about, you know, being in communion with God every, every day. Um, so I didn't do a good job with that. So for you, what, 
what changed when when you went to Wall Street and you mm-hmm. you worked there and the environment was hectic? Um, eventually, you left and went to Santa Barbara, California. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what was that like? What was the the change for you? What drove yeah. that? So I did two two years in investment banking at Merrill Lynch, and then I did two years in grad school and got my MBA at the Wharton School in Philly. Um, and then I spent four years at J.P. Morgan on the trading side, trading derivatives, and that. That was probably more like a 70 hour a week job, which sounds crazy to most people, but that was pretty, pretty good <laughs> for Wall Street. Um, and then after about four years there, I ended up, I was married and uh, pregnant with my first child and my husband was getting out of the army. He, he was full-time army. So we reached a point where we uh, had to decide, are we gonna have one big job or two big jobs? And we together, he's also a Christian, together decided we didn't want to have a baby and two big jobs. And I felt like it was sort of his turn to have the big job um, because he was just getting out of the army. Now he had big jobs in the army, but it was going to be his first big civilian job. Um, So I enjoyed a year full time at home with my first child. We moved twice cross country for his job. So I feel like I was a professional relocation person for that year, Uh, but it was terrific. Um, You know, every family decides what's right for them. And some families, it's both parents have big jobs. Some families, it's the mom has has the big job. And some families, it's the dad has the big job. And there's no right answer. Like I really believe every family chooses what's right for them. And for us, what was right when our children, we ended up having a second child, um, was for me to be flexible and for him to have a big job. And if I was flexible, then he could work and travel. And um, the kids had one of their own two parents caring for them, which was the right thing for our little family of four. Um, So during that time, I did want to work. I wanted to keep my foot in the door. I wanted to have an intellectual Uh, stimulation beyond beyond the very hard work of being the primary caregiver at home. Um, So I ended up consulting uh, in executive education, and that was the Santa Barbara company. So for 10 years, the 10 years where my children were the littlest, I worked for a consulting company, and we went and we delivered training programs to investment banks. So I would go spend five days at J.P. Morgan and teach all their brand new MBA hires about derivatives or I would spend three days at Deutsche Bank and I would teach all their BA hires about financial math. Um, So I went and delivered programs maybe 30 days a year. And the rest of the time I was working from home with a very flexible situation. So it worked beautifully for our family. And I also got my uh, CFA certification during that time. So I didn't ever live in Santa Barbara, but I worked for a Santa Barbara company and I spent a fair amount of time out there. Um, But, you know, it was a gift from God that I had 10 years where I could focus both on my family, but also progress in my career with my certification, keep a foot in the door, keep my 401k getting funded, you know, all sorts of good things about work um, without, you know, sacrificing too much at home. So I, you know, I've, I've loved that job. And that's the job where I really, in a very structured way taught. I stood up in a room eight hours a day and I taught. So I feel like that helped me, you know, 15 years later, you know, get the job at Bethel. So this is, you know, clearly God's plan for me. Um, And that's my dog in the background. Yeah, I hear it. I love (laughs) that. So regarding career path, if you were to go back, would you change anything about the way you did it? 
I would not because I really, truly believe God's path for me was the path that I went on. Um, I think he knows everything, you know, thousands of years before they happen. Um, so I really believe every step in the path was part of what I needed. There were some, you know, hard days, overwhelming days. Um, you know, it was terrible being a woman on Wall Street in the 80s. Like it was a very hostile environment. I didn't feel safe a lot of the time. Um, but I, I, I don't think I'd be where I am if not for the journey. Um, I'm, I'm just very grateful for every opportunity I've had. Um, I do, you know, when, when my colleagues with their PhDs put on their fun PhD hats when they're in their regalia, I think, wow, I wish I had a PhD. I truly wish I had a PhD. Um, but I'm not really a person who looks back with regret. Um, and at this point, I just I don't have the energy to do it, to be honest. Um, so I respect my peers who've, who've gotten that ultimate degree and a little bit of my pride suffers when I have to say I don't have a PhD. Um, but I feel that I have a good, you know, I've had great educational opportunities and I, I think my work experience helps me teach in my emphasis. So I'm, I'm happy that I'm professionally qualified. That's fantastic. So um, for students kind of getting ready um, to get on their career paths, you know, we're in a time right now that's very unprecedented. I mean, you know, students coming out of Bethel, out of any school, um, are losing their full-time jobs because companies can't hold them or their internships are folding because they Mm -hmm. just, it's not Mm going to work in this time. Um, What would you say to these students who are trying to figure it out right now? Yeah. So the first few things I would say are going to just sound very um, trite and placating, and and they are, but I'm very sincere when I say um, that this will all be fine. Um, I I was in my first year at Merrill Lynch when October of 1987 happened. Um, I was at uh, my futures trading company uh, when 2008-2009 happened. So I've been through two similar situations. I actually was downsized from Merrill Lynch. My whole class was um, in 1988, right before business school. So I'm very um, empathetic um, to, to the situation. But I, I do think that if, if students can be patient, um, the environment will be better. What happened in 2008 and what happened in 1987 were really um, bad markets because of bad fundamentals. This is a bad market because of an exogenous shock of a a virus. Um, So that's, it's ridiculous to say this, but it's better now, I believe, than in 2008. Um, you know, we're in a moment of uncertainty now. We don't know if this is another bad month or another bad two years. I mean, the Spanish flu came back. It really wasn't done for two, three years. So we don't, we don't quite know what we're dealing with now. Um, so that's fear. That's a time of fear. Um, but I do believe that the market will come back when we get medication, um, and hopefully eventually a vaccine for this. Um, and there was actually news this morning about a company uh, that has a medication that looks very promising. The market's up today. So I think we'll be back. I just don't know when. The other thing I would say that's going to sound trite, but it's very, very true, is that God is in control. He tells us not to worry. Um, if he knows every you know, hair on our head, then certainly he knows uh, what we're dealing with now. 
Um, and he doesn't promise us, you know, six job offers and a smooth life and a market going up 15% every year, but he does promise to be with us. Um, and, you know, we, uh, whenever we humans face challenges, we can either lean on him or we can, you know, do the opposite. So I would just encourage students to be patient and to lean into God. This is a time uh, when you have more time to spend with God, more time to spend with your family, um, etc. Um, so, and then the third thing I would say is to be flexible. So, you know, a year ago, every one of my finance grads had, you know, like five great job offers. Um, this will be different. Now, instead of maybe being a research analyst at a great, great firm, you might have to do compliance. You might have to do operations. You might have to work for a mid-sized firm. You might have to be, um, you know, in a job that's a little less impressive than you would have if you graduated even a semester earlier. But use that opportunity. I mean, I, th I think if you work in compliance or ops or for a small firm or maybe in a slightly different industry, um, as long as you're working um, and getting, you know, you're learning, you're constantly pushing forward, uh, then you'll look back on this time and you'll understand, you know, what you got out of it. Um, so I think a lot of it's attitude, a lot of it's patience, a lot of it's, you know, just trusting God. All of these things are very hard to do. Um, and, you know, we have to recognize we're all disappointed. Um, we're all fearful. This stinks for seniors. seniors. This timing couldn't be worse for seniors. Um, and a lot of my junior students have lost their internships or their internships have turned virtual. I mean, it's it's a very difficult situation. So we can't we have to acknowledge that, but then I would encourage patience, flexibility, trusting God, and, you know, it, it will get better. No one knows when, but it will get better. Right now, do you look at the economy as an opportunity to invest? Um, as um, you are, you have been my investment professor. I know you're risk averse, but, yeah, but what do you have so. to say about the economy right now? Yes, all of my students know that I'm risk averse and I don't like market timing. I believe in long-term fundamental analysis. Um, yes, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a time to buy though because price earnings multiples are low, things are cheap. If you thought, you know, company X was a good buy three months, two months ago, it's a better buy today. So if you have enough cash, to pay your bills going forward and you have a nice emergency fund and you have a little extra cash, it's probably a pretty good time to buy. But as I said earlier, we just don't know if this is a month, three months or a year of this. Um, and it's very volatile. So I would be cautious. Um, I think cash is king now. I think everybody should have a little extra liquidity right now because we just don't know uh, what's coming. But yes, it is absolutely true that it could be a buying opportunity if you had enough cash. Um, but a lot, you know, a lot of people bought when the market was down 10% and then eventually it was down over 20%. It's down about 16% with today's gains overall. But yeah, there are pockets of opportunity for sure. And I'm okay with timing if the fundamentals are good. Um, so just make sure the fundamentals are good. As, uh, as someone that's worked on Wall Street and in the finance career for over 30 years, mm -hmm. what is your favorite form of personal investing and mm -hmm. why? 
Ah, so what my husband and I do, I'll talk in very broad terms, we actually believe mostly in efficient markets. So in a lot of segments, we are pretty passive. So like in US large cap, it's very hard to beat the market. That market is pretty efficient. Um, so if in large cap, we are pretty passive. We will buy index funds, uh, ETFs, pay low fees. And then with, let's say, 20% of our portfolio, we like to, my husband likes to try and find value. So we've got a couple of uh, venture capital things in our portfolio. Those are long-term, you either, you either hit a home run or you strike out kind of things. Um, and then in what I call neglected stocks, so some emerging markets, some small cap, in those spaces, we will try to pick stocks that will outperform their benchmark. So I think you can find alpha, you can find opportunities to outperform the market, you can find pockets of slight inefficiency here and there. Um, but overall, I do believe the markets are pretty efficient. Um, so for, for us, it's probably 80% passive index, happy to match the market, and the rest is a little bit more trying to be smarter than the market. Of course, we're a little bit older. My husband's even a little bit older than I am. So we're not 100% equity anymore. We're sort of working our way towards uh, de-risking. Um, so, you know, I have bonds in there now that I didn't have a whole lot of before. Um, but well-diversified, risk-appropriate, time-horizon-appropriate uh, investments. So now moving towards a, a student's perspective. So mm -hmm. what would you suggest... Um, a Bethel University student should participate in, should learn about, should really seek out to make the most of their four years at Bethel? Um, well, I, th I think it's, it's a very hard question because we're all so unique, right? Uh, and my lens is pretty narrow. I, I used to teach ManFin, I've taught business problem solving, so I see some other business students, but you know, probably 75% of my time is just with finance students or students who have a, like a double emphasis with, with finance. So I have a, I have a, I'm not sure I have a good um, perspective on what's good for all Bethel students, but I would say for business students, I would try and get all the principles classes done early. So you see what you like and what you're good at. Um, I would strongly consider a double emphasis because I think that you'll, enjoy it intellectually, and it'll also just give you more flexibility later. Um, as I've shared a few times, a lot of my finance marketing double emphases, they get really great jobs marketing at financial services companies. Um, and I think that's a great avenue for, for a marketing student, for example. Um, some of the students who are finance and analytics doubles get really great jobs doing um, uh, analysis work at banks, investment management companies, and corporations even um, within their um, finance groups. So I think a double is a great idea. Um, and then I would be very open-minded to some of the opportunities at Bethel um, beyond the classroom. So of course the CFA research challenge, the Deloitte case for people who have accounting in their um, emphasis, um, the, the student managed investment fund of course, which I'm an advisor for, um, and uh, Bethel Biz Mentor Program. All of those extra things um, beyond the classroom, are they're really valuable. Um, I hear from alums all the time who tell me that their mentor from Bethel Biz or someone they met at a, a Bethel Business and Economics Association event 
or their experience on the, the fund, for example, has been something that's distinguished them or opened a door for them. So we're all way too busy, so I don't think every student should sign up for everything they can. Uh, but I would say try and have a meaningful participation in one or two of the things that I've mentioned. Um, don't have a, an unmeaningful participation in all of them. Pick one or two of them and, and dig in and uh, get a lot out of it. So I think that'll prepare uh, students well. It'll also be interesting, um, much more interesting than you know being laser focused and only one emphasis and only one other thing. Um, so that would be my advice. And then I'm just a big math fan, so you know, take some math, man. It'll open doors. It'll it'll make you different from everybody else if you're good at math so that's awesome. good what do you think sets people apart when they first enter their career mm -hmm. and how can they excel more than mm -hmm. their peers around them all right well some of you have heard this before because i talk about this um, but i think one thing you can do is to be incredibly valuable to your boss the way you're incredibly valuable to your boss is to do your work well and to make their job easier. So like I think about the TAs I've had at Bethel who've really stuck out in my mind. They've sort of thought ahead. They've thought ahead about what happens next. They've anticipated what I need. Uh, they're very detail oriented and they'll, you know, they'll maybe catch something that I've done wrong um, in haste. Um, so make your boss's job easier. The other thing I would say is to, um, don't just do your job, like do the next next thing. So like the analogy I have in a classroom is, I might have an A student who does his or her work well, um, but the students who stick out in my mind are the students who ask what I call the next smart question. So I might teach a topic and an A student will do what's required and get an A, but the superstar will sort of say, um, well, how do you apply that? Or they'll anticipate, you know, if I'd had 15 more minutes in class, what would have been the next thing I would have talked about? Or they'll make a connection uh, to a reading or to something in the news or to something from a different chapter that I hadn't, uh, you know, done myself in class for probably for time reasons. So I would just don't be satisfied to get through your to-do list. Like just always seek out the next smart question, the next smart project. Um, just make, make your environment um, better by being, by being in the environment. Um, sadly, I think this is gonna get harder. Um, for the last three to five years, like it was enough to, it was enough to be okay and you have a job. The job market's been great. And I think going forward, it's going to be a little bit tougher. I don't mean to be negative, but I think it's going to take a little more effort um, for the employee, a junior employee, um, to stand out, uh, to get the, you know, the good job, et cetera. Final question. If mm -hmm. you were to go back to your college years and a couple years right after college, mm -hmm. what would you tell yourself and what advice do you wish someone had told you? All right, well, on a personal note, I'll be completely transparent with you. I did not go to a school with a covenant. Um, so I probably would have had less alcohol, uh, slept more, and made wiser choices. So that's totally a totally honest answer. We did not have a covenant at my undergrad. 
and I was a Christian, but I hadn't really uh, made it my life. Um, I was, I was, uh, I made plenty of mistakes that I wouldn't have made. So I absolutely would have made some of those changes. And then I think the mistake I've made multiple times is I have let my job be my God many times. I have worked so hard to uh, succeed in my career that I, I made that my top priority. Um, once I became a wife and a mom, I'm happy to say that the, that wasn't true after that, but um, I didn't always have God first. So often I would have sort of family first, then work, and then, then God. Um, so I would just remind myself that God should be first at all times in all situations, uh, regardless of any cost that it might be, um, um, you know, in terms of how people treat you or um, how much time you can commit to work, or even if you are faced with a situation where you know God wants you to say no, and that might cost you an opportunity to work. Um, so put, put God first would be the thing that I should have done a little better sooner. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. You got to hear it all from Amanda Carter, and we want to thank her again for joining us on the first Royals Investment Fund podcast. I'm your host, Tony Harris, and I look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening to the Royals Investment Fund podcast. Thank you.